catch on attention May I have all your eyes and ears To the front of the room If only If only for one second This table is taking a turn for the worse Rock bottom and over the edge Well, it's not like it hurts that much Anyway, upside down it was the second year of the century, and in the early days of the online music portal Pure Volume, a band called Remember Maine shared top ranking space on the site's emo chart alongside Saves the Day and the Get Up Kids. Now we all know that the Get Up Kids belong to the indie history books, and Saves the Day continue to fly the rock flag. But whatever happened to Remember Maine? Well, that one-man show, known to his parents as William Beckett, hooked up with guitarist Mike Carden and formed The Academy Is, becoming the kings of suburban Illinois emo. But it was on the strength of their debut full-length, 2005's Almost Here, that allowed the band to escape Illinois for a much bigger world, one that could appreciate Beckett's engaging stage presence and Cardin's way around a melody. While the band had certainly made a name for themselves with a seemingly relentless touring schedule, it really didn't prepare audiences for the Academy Is's second album, Santee. With guitarist Michael Guy Chislett on board, the band made huge strides in their sound from the duck-and-cover crunching of We Got a Big Mess on Our Hands, to the streetwise swagger of Bulls in Brooklyn, to the widescreen guitar dynamics found in unexpected places. That last reference was an unintended pun, but it is appropriate, because from the onset, the Academy is weren't interested in making the same record twice. William Beckett and Michael Chislett, along with Jack, their cameraman, hung out with AP at Lava Room Recording in Cleveland to discuss their personal musical awakenings in the Chicago suburbs and in Chislett's native Australia, the trend of cultural saturation and its impact on art, and exactly how much they paid to download the new Radiohead album last year. I'm Jason Pettigrew, and this is the AP Podcast. Welcome to the AP Podcast. I'm Jason Pettigrew, editor-in-chief of Alternative Press Magazine. Uh, we're here in the studio with two, 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 fit, two, two fifths. Two fifths. Yeah. Two fifths. Two fifths of the Academy is. We've got William on Mike 2. Is that still Mike 2? This is still Mike 2. And Michael. Mike 3. On Mike 3. See, no, Mike 1 is, is empty, but that's okay. Uh, its soul is still with us. The... Um, Man, I just don't know where I don't know where to begin because this band is. It seems like you guys have accomplished a lot in a small space of time. But I wanted to start with start with in the beginning here. Uh, the way I understand it, William and Mike Carden, who is isn't here today because he's a chicken shit and who needs sleep, yeah, uh, were big uh, stadium rock fans, like full on. You know, you guys were like really young and you were all like full on into you know the grand gesture stuff like Queen, U two. Pink Floyd uh, stuff, Led yeah. Zeppelin. I mean, what was that whole, that whole type of type of vibe? I mean, well, for us, it was it was strange because we also, you know, grew up loving stuff on the radio like Nirvana and STP and you know, Pearl Jam and things like that. And uh, so, I mean, you kind of like you were drawn to that stuff, and then you discovered the other stuff in reverse or something like that. Is well, that- no, I mean, you know, like we were brought up on classic rock music, and uh, um, you know, but. But what was most exciting to us at that point was like Nirvana and STP and and uh, um, you know uh, um, so so for us once the radio started getting getting uh, getting stale as as you know as we know it and and all these bands came out that 
had lead singers that were trying to sound like Eddie Vedder, and you know, and it, still to this very day, there are bands selling millions of records that have ripped off that whole thing. Chad Kroger, Red Courtesy Phone, Chad Kroger. <laughs> oh yes, yes. You didn't uh, name names. That was me. It's it totally okay. Cool. Well, yeah, him. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know, so, so. We got frustrated with popular music, and I know that the same thing was happening across the world with with Michael, you know, at that time. And uh, and uh, we had to look elsewhere for, you know, new music. And that's when we really got into the the indie rock circuit and the punk rock circuit, and started going to uh, you know punk rock shows where you know we'd see, you know, like Lawrence Arms at the Fireside Bowl in Chicago, with like you know twenty people there. Or see, like, you know, Rise Against when they still had, uh, you know, Dan from 88 Fingers, Louie. Okay. Uh, you know, playing at, like, Knights of Columbus. And that's where we, we met at a Knights of Columbus in Arlington Heights. And Adam and I have been, you know, talking about starting a band. Because at that point I was doing uh, probably the, the most emo of, of any music ever made <laughs> called Remember Maine in high school. It was, it was just me and an acoustic guitar and... And really, really sad lyrics. You would have loved it, I think. Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Remember me? That, yeah, that's the side of me that everyone knew in <clears> high <throat> school. So that was more Rem- like like the state, huh? Like the state? Yes. Why Maine? Uh, well, at, at that point, um, I think I just grabbed it from a book that I was reading. It was like a short story that I was reading about some kid from Maine. Uh, and you know, uh, when I was younger, I moved around a lot too, so I identified with it. A lot, you know, so, uh, so yeah, and then we were talking about, you know, starting a band up, and we played some cover songs and stuff, like, you know, like messing around, trying to get some kids motivated to play music together, and, uh, you know, then we met Mike Cardin, and, uh, you know, we tried a band with him, and here we are today, still doing that band, but now we have Michael Guy Chislett next to us. And he's, uh, he's, you know, the second nicest Australian that I've ever met. Who was the first one? Who is the first one? I, 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 I'm sorry. I, You're on the hot seat, dude. Who's the first one? It's my one? mom. <laughs> yeah, it's your mom. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you I can't it. believe you. Either your mom or your brother, I'd say. <laughs> oh, and you're number two. Oh, man. First yeah. dissed by, the, by, by kids who want to see the videographer. And now, yeah. the, oh, man. That happens, man. That's rough. That sense when you were doing the whole fireside bowl thing, uh-huh. and, and that culture, that sense of community, was it just kind of like? Did you get that feeling where there was like, yeah, there were only twenty people watching Lawrence Arms, but you felt that you were at the nexus of like like a secret type of community yeah. or club where absolutely anything was anything was possible, and only a couple people know about this, and it's cool, and it's my thing, and I hate everything that's on the radio. And does that was that the whole impetus for like I want to be in a band, I want to articulate this stuff, I want to support this type of culture in this community? Was that I mean, was that really the impetus for it, or was uh, well, it, I mean, I, I think it was a, a little you know a little bit of both because. We also started our own little little scene in the the suburbs because none of us were really that in with a lot of the promoters because we were all we, you know we were all like in high school or right out of high school so the Fireside Bowl wouldn't wouldn't take us you know wouldn't take any of our bands or or, or like solo projects or anything like that so we, we would go to those shows on you know on on like Thursday and then on Friday we we'd make our own shows in the suburbs and uh you know that's where like. We started where Fall Out Boy started, where uh, Knockout 
started, who sprung into, you know, other bands uh, uh, um, like uh, the Plain White Tees. We all started in the same, you know, tiny little area. August Premier, which is actually the first band from Chicago signed to Feel Bar Ramen before Fall Out Boy was August Premier. And then that pretty much started everything for us because we built up this local following, this local scene um, with our bands, you know, at playing Knights of Columbus halls and uh, bars, you know, like Back to the Office was a bar that we used to play all the time. Um, not the band, but, you know, me acoustic. That's when I, back then. And Mike had his own band and we all played places together and, uh, uh, you know, w with Fall Out Boy in front of like 12 kids. Fall Out Boy was a five piece then. Okay, that's right. Patrick was a free singer, and uh, no one knew who any of us were. No one cared, but we 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 cared, and you know, half the time the people that were there were just all the support bands that were, you know, playing with us. Everybody then, was playing to each other's band. Is exactly, that what you're saying? right? We're just playing to each other and 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 starting something that uh, essentially did, didn't exist before uh, in in that area at all. So, so then you know. Weeks pass and more and more people come to the show and the next thing we know we're playing Metro. It's like one of our first shows was at Metro as a band and then that's just incredible and you know uh, um, that was a really good feeling for us. That was probably the moment where I realized that I want to do this. This is like um, like now it's you know at that point I thought that this is it. This is th this is the end all be all. We're playing Metro like. This is the end all be all, right? But now we're uh, we're when we go back to Chicago in a few days, we're we're headlining the Riviera and it's sold out, and that's 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 weird. It's just crazy to think about going to the Fireside and thinking how big this is. You know, seeing Alkaline Trio or like the back then like the the Broadways. You know, at the Fireside, it's like now you know. Thank God we got to play that stage once, and we did get to play the Fireside, which was really, really cool and great for us. But uh, but it's just strange to think about playing a place that size in our hometown that we I wouldn't even go to shows at the Riviera, you know what I mean? It was like, oh, it's at the Riv, I'm not going to go to that show. Why? Because like, there's too many big. people there, it's not cool. No, because I was ready to, you know, I was going to Fireside, and none of the bands that I liked were big enough to play Riviera at that point. Okay. In that time frame, what was what were the, what were, were there two bands? You know, for the sake, were there two bands that were just really, just like yes? Oh my! Were there two bands that you were just completely fanatical about? Yeah. Well, actually, when Full Collapse came out Thursday, I was obsessed with it, and I saw them at the Fireside a bunch of times, like right when that came out. Uh, and uh, what's your favorite song off Full Collapse? Off Full Collapse, uh, I don't know. That's rough. I don't know. I haven't listened to it in so long. I'm not sure. Uh, um, uh, I'm not sure. Anyway, so... Besides Thursday, what else were you on? Uh, I don't know. I was really into, like... Uh, um, I, was, I was really into Bright Eyes and some of the Saddle Creek stuff. Cursive is probably still the band that made the biggest impact on me. Uh, you know, all their records. In what way? Uh, just li um, I was really drawn to them lyrically and and the emotion that they had and and conveyed, especially you know Tim Kasher and his voice, the way that he you know wasn't like the greatest singer in the world, but I believed every single word he said. You know, you you just you just believe him when he sings, and I think that that's uh, you know that's the that's what made me start singing, you know, 
and doing it uh, with acoustic. I, it was like that and like dashboard was around. So I like could justify starting an acoustic thing because it was like, yeah, you know, Connor Oberst does it a little bit and screw it. I'm just going to write some songs and start playing songs to people and see what happens. Do you have a particular particular favorite uh, cursive song? Cursive song? I don't know. Anything off Domestica, uh, you know, I love. Uh, um, the Radiator Hums is a really, I, I always thought was, was an interesting song, a really cool song. Uh, you know, anything off of uh, Domestica. And then The Ugly Organ came out, but I was a little older, so, so I, I wasn't as fanatic about it. You know, but I, I still love the record, um, you know, but those were some of the, the 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 underground bands that I was really into at that point. You know, throughout the whole time, I've, I've always been obsessed with Led Zeppelin and all through high school and and like the Get Up Kids is another one of those like, you know, indie bands that we were always into. And it's ironic because, you know, uh, across the world, on the other side of the world, Chislet was going through all the same stuff. and. And like with 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 like being a part of the indie music, uh, uh, you know the same bands that we loved. You know he was listening to, which is which is nuts to think about that it was happening at the same time as well. Completely on the other side of the on the other side of the world. Yeah, <clears throat> so it's pretty cool. Speak your piece, Mr. Chislet. Tell me about the whole. Vo- You're originally from uh, Sydney. From Australia. Sydney. Okay. <clears throat> so. You know what was going on there? I mean, what was that whole time frame? I guess what what time frame would we be would we be talking about? Oh, as I'm far so as that with years, uh, like my my sophomore year of high school. So you were probably like a senior in high school. Yeah, I didn't really get that far in high school. Oh yeah, that's right. Well, don't worry. In Australia, there's a whole different set of standards. Sure, yeah, completely. I'm just kind of wondering. I'm just trying to, at the same time frame. I'm what were you, like, what were you well, rocking in your we um, yeah. In your in your life at that time on the other side of the earth, it's it's funny. Like uh, I first met Mike Carden about I don't know. I mean, I guess like three years ago, and um, it's funny because um, I was at um, you know I was at my friend's house and he was there and and uh, we we're talking about music and he was like, "Wow, it's crazy." So you're actually you know so you're from Australia and I was like, "Yeah," and he's like, um, he's like, "Oh, you know, I'm you know from Chicago and you know he was kind of like talking about like some of the stuff that he's been up to and stuff and. And it was just funny because he was like, um, like he goes, oh, you know, like, uh, like the Get Up Kids and stuff. And I was like, oh, I love the Get Up Kids. He's like, really? So like the Get Up Kids are big in Australia. I'm like, well, yeah, they never really came to Australia. But, um, you know, I was like, yeah, something to write home about. It was like a, a huge album. Like me and all my friends used to like pass around. And um, <clears throat> it's kind of funny now that I think about it because it's like um, uh, I had this friend called Fitzy um, who I guess was, this is like, you know, pre-burning CDs and stuff. Cause like all that stuff was kind of hard to get, you know? Um, but he used to just, uh, he kind of, I guess he worked out how to you know, duplicate CDs and he'd, he'd be like, all right, you know, this is um, like, okay. For example, clarity, that's a perfect example. Cause it was real hard to get. Um, but he'd be like, you know, okay. So Jimmy Ward clarity, like this, this album will change your life, you know? And um, you know, so it, he kind of like helped start up like a little scene, you know? And um you know, it, it's kind of, it's funny how that works because like, I didn't really think about the whole grand scheme of it, but it really kind of did change. I think a lot of people's perspective on music, you know, like just that whole, you know, um, and also I think that what definitely helped was Weezer, um, like Pinkerton was like a big album for me growing up. Sure. I, I used to, I used to play like a lot of metal, um, when I was younger. Cause it was, you know, like, uh, I've been playing guitar since I was eight years old. So by the time I hit about 14 or 15, I got really into like Van Halen and all that. So it was all about, 
you know, how fast I could play guitar. It was, it was quite fun at the time. Notes per you know. second. Yeah, you know, I was like... Um, <laughs> look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, dig me, dig me, dig me, dig me, look at me, look at me, look at me. It's, it's exactly what it was like. It, it was crazy. It was like a video I can game. play Van Halen's Eruption for 45 minutes. Take that, That's exactly Eddie. right. It, yeah, so um, by the time I heard um, Pinkerton, um, you know, I was a big fan of Blue, but when Pinkerton came out, it was 90, uh, 96. And so I was like... That album really freaked me out, and that's when I kind of decided, you know, like playing metal is really not that sweet right now, you know. So it, it definitely changed my perspective as a guitar player. And then I got into like Foo Fighters, um, Color in the Shape, and uh, Radiohead. It's kind of weird because like I was uh, there's this other band called Ash, which was a real big deal. Oh, the um, British band, Ash, yeah. Yeah. Um, Tim Wheelers. Yeah. So I, I was absolutely obsessed with. with Have that you seen stuff. Ash? No, they they. I saw Ash a couple. I saw Ash a couple years ago when everybody was going crazy for the bravery because the bravery were opening for Ash at the time. Oh yeah, yeah. And I just thought, oh, the bravery, oh please. But the problem with with Ash is that uh, you know I think Tim Wheeler's a great songwriter. I think he's an amazing guitar player. The only thing was is that the band that he had with him, the people who were with him at the time, they just feel like they would rather have been someplace else. Man, and he yeah. was the only guy. I mean, he's on. If he's having a crap day or something, yeah. As soon as he hits that stage, it's a different. It's a completely different guy, and he always puts it out there, hundred percent. Yeah. And uh, I just, yeah, they're just, just if if they're in a if they're anywhere like if you're someplace and you know they're they're someplace 150 miles from you, go there because I mean it's a really you know he definitely is incredibly inspiring both as a person and a musician. Yeah. It's it's uh I feel bad for him because I. I was talking to the bass player on uh, MySpace actually before MySpace was what it is now. You know, it's when you could actually, you know, sure. like message bands and say, hey, you know, you guys are sweet. Um, and he, he wrote back and said, oh, um, he was like, wow, because I was playing with a, another guy at the time and he was going, wow, you know, you guys have quite a lot of shows in America. That's, that's cool. Um, and I was like, yeah, you know, when, when are you guys coming to America? And he's like, well, it's, it's real hard. America doesn't really like us that much. You know, we can play, you know, um, New York, LA and, um, I mean, you know, anything in between every now and then, but you know, not that much. And that, that kind of really spun me out. I was just like, man, but you guys are massive, you know? But I mean, that's, that's like, you know, being Australian, you kind of like lose perspective of like what bands are big and what bands aren't. It's actually funny to think that I always thought the Get Up Kids were like a really big band. Like I always imagined them playing like 5,000 seat shows and, you know, everywhere in America, you know? Um, and so, you know, like coming <laughs> wow. to America, no, like it, it really spent like, like, I guess like our perspective on on music that's made so far away is, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty interesting. Like I, I always thought that the get up kids were like a really big famous band, you know? Um, it is and, that, per, it is that complete perception. Yeah. Stuff like that back then, I think, you know, is that that's something I wanted to ask though, because we have, you know, you've got the internet now you've got MySpace, yeah. you've got all that stuff. Do you think that because of that culture, that there's a lot of, it's just too easy to do. I mean, a band like the Academy is, has put in a lot of sweat equity, you know, and did those, did a lot of gigs where there weren't a lot of people there and stuff. Do you think that's, is that my wife calling you? What, what What's it's, going it's on It's my here? mom. <laughs> Again, first so, coolest person, yeah. first coolest person <laughs> yeah, in Australia. The, the first coolest but, I mean, Aussie. How does that, I mean, you know, how does all that stuff, mm. you know, I, I mean, do you, do you feel that I'll just, it just seems like you can, you can, uh, four o'clock on a Sunday say, I'm going to be in a band. And then you just don't, you know, put the, <laughs> I mean, I think, yeah. I mean, anybody can, can make a MySpace page. I, I think, I think the funny thing is, is that now, um, like the, there's so many bands out there. I think that a lot of young people have kind of moved off finding bands on MySpace now. Like they just, 
you know, now, because <clears throat> um, I, I find the whole culture really fascinating just because, um, like, I, you know, I know it sounds kind of silly, but, like, I had a MySpace account, you know, like, a, a real long time ago, and it was a way for me to actually talk to my friends, you know, who were in another country or whatever, but now it's kind of turned into, like, a, you know, something completely different. Um, but then, I guess, you know, to, uh, maybe a year and a half ago, it was, it was real cool to um, to listen to sweet bands from MySpace, but I think now it's become a place where, um, I guess it's kind of like um, going shopping after receiving lots of uh, junk mail. You know what I mean? It's just like, well, doesn't mean the shops are cool just because you get lots of junk mail. You know, it's it's. I think it's just one of those things. I think MySpace is definitely. Um, uh, I don't think it's as culturally relevant as it was maybe six months or even a year ago. You know, that's my. But ironically, thought. it's bigger than it's ever been, and you know, I think it's just so saturated with 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 with, with people and. And it used to be a subculture, and now it's culture. You know, now it's a part of everybody's uh, lives, and it's—I uh, don't know—it's—it's—it's it's, it's definitely strange. But um, you know, my only con- like my main concern with you know with it is like uh, uh, the immediate future, and like a lot of these you know young people who don't know what life is without. MySpace or what life is without the internet period or like things like Facebook or things like like you know live journal which is why I think it's so interesting to hear perspectives of people who who were actually like you know you know in their 20s when there wasn't internet like when when AOL you know came to be and you got the little thing in the the newspaper the the free download installation of AOL like sure. you know 1.0 and it just changed everything. It changed everything. And a lot of these, you know, a lot of young people don't know what it's like to socialize and, like, make real friends, uh, you know, because they just don't know how to do that or, or how to, how to, how to, you know, um, how to step outside of their, you know, their safety net that is the Internet, that is their MySpace. Because you can say anything that you want. You can do anything that you want on the Internet f- for the most part. Um, and real life's not like that, you know. <laughs> you actually have to learn how to, how to, how to have conversations and to, <clears throat> to, to, you know, um, interact w- 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 with people. And that's, uh, you know, but that's what's so great about live music and doing tours for us is because we we actually, you know, go and play these shows, and people have to physically come to the, the venues, and we, you know. And we have an experience together, you know, and it's a real one, you know. Uh, it's something that you can't, can't, you know, uh, download on the internet. So there is something about the actual that meeting of community, yeah, that you just can't. Yeah, it's one thing you're going to grab an MP3, you know, low res MP3 off of something, but actually to be, you know, it's a lot like it's a lot like gym class. You know, showing up is half your grade. You know, and it, it, it's that it's, but I just kind of, but you talk about that insulation and I'm just wondering if you think, I mean, Led Zeppelin didn't have a MySpace page 30, right. years, 30 yeah. 40 years ago. Do you think that just a lot of bands just, just have it too easy? Do you think that it's that thing where nobody really wants to do the work? Nobody really wants to reach out. They just want to, 
I think that now that there's more struggling bands than there yeah. has it, it, ever been. I think been. it's definitely the hardest. Too. It's the hard. It's, it's harder than it ever has been before. I think because the because there's so many bands. Now. It's a glut, and maybe maybe the good stuff rises to the top, or maybe it doesn't. That's the thing is, you know, I I think that it's going to work itself out. It's it's already working itself out. You know, there are a, a lot of bands that just can't survive anymore because people don't buy CDs. You don't get you know big huge deals. You don't you know. N- Unless you're a pop, you know, you know, singer. Or well, if you, I think I think that's the good news that the pop guys can't, you know, like it. Going to the days when when the record label used to, you know, make artists out to be a lot sweeter than they really are, and then you know, like they they used to pretend that they had like a massive following, and then people would just believe it, and next thing you know, three thousand people would show up to their show, you know, because they and, thought they had to. Yeah, well, they they just thought that they were like, wow, this massive famous band are coming, and I've I've actually I've now watched bands start from nothing get like a, a million dollar record deal and then start doing shows and no one turns up, you know, just because you, you can't, you can't fake it anymore. You, you either, you either relate to people or you don't. You can't exactly. just, you can't pretend to um, be like a sweet band and have, you know, a million people up your sleeve, you know, because what, what happens is when you actually, you know, you, you step outside and, you know, you start playing shows, you know, you have like a sweet tour bus with your face on it and, and the, you know, the next thing you know, no one actually comes to your shows. And I've seen it happen, I reckon, uh, maybe this year, maybe four or five times where it just, you know, labels will lose like, you know, $2 million on, on an artist, you know, just because they, they're like, well, you had great, you know, your songs are okay and, you know, he just has this look and he's, you know, and it's like, well, yeah, you know. Yeah, one of the most important things about, about you know, about this whole thing and that bands forget, and that bands, especially younger bands, take for granted. I mean, we're we're you know like a relatively young band. Like, I'm I'm 22 years old, okay. But there are like a thousand bands out there where the kids are 17, 18 years old, and they forget that the most important thing is to be self-sustaining, is to make sure that you don't need this label, you don't need you know this guy, you don't need these people. Uh, you're not relying on that to to sustain and, and you know and to survive you're, you're relying on yourselves your music and your fans and that's all you really need you know if you have a good fan base that, you know if you have a strong fan base that believes in you and you show them that you believe in them uh, through your music and through other means um, that's what's most important than you know uh, trying to even if you sell a million records you can still go out and 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 you know and not have sold out shows at all you know like like half full rooms rooms that we can fill a lot of bands that that have you know gone platinum can't you know so like i said I, you know i think that it's it sort of works itself out over time i think it's it's going to be very clear uh who's important to people and who who's who's just sort of uh important right this minute as opposed to so you know uh uh, who's actually making a difference? Do you think that? Uh, do you think that you know? Given all, given all of these criticisms and these uh, and these thoughts and observations, do you think that if the band, if this were, if this were nineteen, if this were nineteen ninety three, and we were having this conversation right now, do you do you think that without all of that stuff? Of course not. No, no way. And that's the thing too. You know, it's like, yes, you know, we're sort of you know saying all these things about you know about this new generation and. But it's also, you know, an amazing time to be doing a band if your band, you know, is good. You know, I think that it's an amazing <laughs> time to do it because 
because you have all these tools, you know, that are afforded to you. And now music is essentially free. I mean, it hasn't been free in, in how long? Like, I don't know, since like the Renaissance age, isn't music's been free. But just because music's free doesn't mean that artists, you know, need to, you know, martyr themselves and, uh, you know, and do that uh, um, completely free as well. But the same, you know, I mean, it's uh, it's really interesting seeing that, uh, uh, you know, imagining what what our band would be and what all these bands would be without the internet and without, you know, mp3.com or pure volume, even though mp3.com's done, but when that, you know, whole thing started, uh, it really, it, it really, uh, I mean, uh, uh, when I was doing my solo project in high school on the emo charts on mp3.com, which was like me and like, you know, like, like, uh, like remember Maine and like the get up kids and like saves the day and stuff. But like these bands were way bigger than like, I was just a kid in high school, but I had, uh, us like, um, I had, um, these, these two different songs, um, number one and number two at the same time on the emo charts, which is pretty funny. You know, it's really funny in retrospect. The established band, the kind of established band that's already, it's already done shows and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. It's the same thing that I was just talking about. Yeah. But no one really gave a crap, to be honest, until we started touring and, you know, uh, came around a lot more often and, uh, and obviously wrote better music because it wasn't that good. (laughs) You know, we were talking, you were talking about music being free and I mean, download culture practically demands that bands have to, you know, go on the road, you know, and get paid. And now, geez, what's wrong with me? The, um, the demands of that treadmill is a whole new can of worms. And obviously we know about the whole, um, Radio heads in rainbows were yeah. like, no, what do you, no, really, what do you think it's worth? You know, pay as you, <clears throat> pay as you think. And then I guess Trent Reznor just worked with Saul Williams for uh, a record that they just did. And they just said, five bucks, here it is. You want it? And um, I'm just kind of wondering if you think that, I'm, I'm assuming you guys grew up with CDs and vinyl and just that whole, that whole collector having the artifact type type thing as well. And I'm just kind of wondering what, you know, what you think that future is going to do. I think the thing is that the, the rumor is, is that Trent Reznor allegedly paid $5,000 for his He typed in $5,000 in his, uh, for his, uh, um, in rainbows download and kind of like the whole, you know, philosophical support the cause. But then somebody on some message board said, dude, that won't let you type in that many. The, the field won't let you type in that many numbers. So I don't know. I don't know how big of a, how big of a PR line. Maybe you wrote is. a check. Maybe you wrote a check and sent it, you know? Yeah, probably. Where, but where did he send it to? Cyber yeah, <laughs> Radiohead, <laughs> cyberspace, London. <laughs> the, you know, I, I'm just wondering here. I mean, what does that, what, what do you, I mean, what do you guys think of that in terms of how that type of activity impacts what you do? What do you think, Michael? Um, I was I was pretty excited at first when the Radiohead thing started happening. Cause, you know, I was a I've been a fan of Radiohead for a long time, but did I you download the yeah, record? It's scarcely. I, I did. Yeah. How much you pay for it? Um, I think like, well, it was uh, what are they? I think it was like eight dollars American, which is something pounds. I don't know. I had a lot of trouble actually. It, it wouldn't take my credit card, but I, I got it organized eventually. But uh, I guess I didn't have that part sorted out. There's a bunch of, um, <clears throat> I was reading up on it about how a lot of people got like credit card fraud claims from their bank saying that 
you know, you, you can't, you know, you can't just put your credit card into anything. And, you know, so I guess, you know, I was lucky that mine actually worked eventually, but, um, um, <clears throat> I, I think that the thing that spins me out is that they're, they're still actually going to release a hard copy in America now, um, on January the 1st, which is, you know, I think that part's kind of cool, but, uh, <clears throat> I know I was, I kind of thought that they were just going to say, you know, like you can have the record or you can have, you know, the, you know, whatever you want, you can pay whatever you want for it. It's free, you know, cause I, I know they don't need the money. Well, actually it's hard to say, you know, maybe they do, but, um, yeah, I, I guess if they, if they weren't going to re-release it in America, I think it would have been a lot cooler, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think anyone's really worked out exactly what the best way to do, um, stuff is, you know, cause it's like, I mean, I, I know for us, like we're, we're not trying to become millionaires or anything. Um, which is why, like, like I, I know that there's, there's quite a few people out there that don't buy our record. Like there's probably more people that come to our shows than actually have the CD, which is a really crazy thought if you think about it. Um, especially cause they, you know, they, they sing like every word and stuff, but you know, like we don't give them, you know, I think it's just one of those things, you know, um, but yeah, it's definitely a crazy time. You know, it definitely spins me out. You know? I was going j- just for the sake of because we 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 do some um, tracks here, introduce some other music here. What do you? What's your favorite Radiohead song? I like the I like the third one um, on the. Is it? It could be called Nude. Maybe is that is that what it's called? On in Rainbows. Yeah, is yeah. that what you meant? On, on in uh, Rainbows or, either, or just, just all time? I, I really like the song. No surprises. That's that's one yeah, of my favorites. Um, man, I used to get. Um, crazy, like shivers up my spine when I listen to that, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd say probably that one or Street Spirit. You, you got a favorite one, William? Um, I don't know. Like, I, I, I would say anything off the bands, but uh, I really just, like Tales of the Thief. Yeah, just just from the. Did you see the video for that? No, yeah. amazing. That's a great video. I haven't uh, seen it. Ju- just and, and the national anthem are the ones that do it for me. Yeah. Because uh, I saw them at Shoreline Amphitheater when they were touring by an amnesiac, and I was just kind of like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really liked Hail to the Thief, too, and a lot of my friends didn't like that record. I like the last track on Hail to the Thief a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, like two plus two equals five, that yeah. song is, is pretty sweet. Slowly 
originally from Sydney, you came over. I'm kind of confused here. Did you family move over? Did you move over here, moved to America at it's, a young age? Or? Um, when I was 20, I was, uh, I'm trying to think. I don't know. It was, I guess it was like four years ago now, five years ago. I, um, I moved to England with a, with a band and, um, the band, a band called paper radio. Um, and they started kind of falling apart and like the singer left and, you know, I ended up, um, really, really, you know, cause like I was playing shows to earn money and so not playing shows means, you know, I don't eat. So, um, I moved to LA. I had like a return ticket that went via LA. So I just went to LA and stayed at a friend's couch. Um, cause you've been doing a lot of when you were, when they yeah. came up to do the Academy is the, the way I understand is you were doing a lot of sessions and a lot well, of uh, couch yeah. surfing. Right? Yeah. Well, I, I actually play, I played guitar for a guy called Butch Walker who, um, he actually produced Santi and, right. um, I played with him for about two years, but what, what happened is like I moved to LA and, um, uh, it's, it's a real long story. I, um, uh, one of my friends was touring and so I said, you know, I can guitar tech for you for like anything, you know, if, if you just kind of like look after me for a little bit, but I, I met one of their publishers, um, who's actually the Academy's publisher now. Um, Dan. and yeah, Dan. And so he, he was a real cool guy and he's like, man, he's like, well, what's wrong with you? Why haven't you got work? I get you work and in you know two days you know so <clears throat> i was like sweet well you know let me know anyway like like the next day like a bunch of people you know started calling saying oh you know we've got this band who are 
you know, this and that. And, it, it, you know, it was cool because I was still staying at my friend's uh, house, you know, and he was he was pretty, you know, eager to have his uh, lounge room back in the morning, you know. Um, so sure enough, I started playing with this band um, who went through like 10 different name changes and they, they were signed to Interscope at the time. Um, and then they broke up <clears throat> and then I, I was out of a gig, but the last person we uh, hung out with was Butch Walker and he was going to okay. possibly produce the album. He thought we were real cool. And, um, <clears throat> and so, you know, so, you know, we all, we broke up and so I was, I was in uh, Escondido um, in, you know, California, funnily enough with Agatatech now, who was, you know, doing construction work at the time. That's how kind of, you know, tied in this whole story gets, but um, I had nothing to do and I, you know, didn't know what I was going to, you know, I was kind of screwed. I couldn't afford to get back to Sydney. I couldn't afford to, do anything you know so um i found butch on myspace so i just messaged him and this is you know probably three years ago um and uh i was like hey man you know band broke up if you need a guitar player let me know and um so he called me and was just like hey man i'm going to japan in, in a couple of weeks we're opening up for um for avril lavigne if you want to play you know guitar for me you know and i was like sweet do i have to audition and he's like no no that's fine you know <laughs> You got the gig. What I didn't know though is he called Dan, who was his publisher as well, um, and was like, you know, what do you know about Michael? Is he, you know? And Dan was like, oh man, this guy's, you know, you got to get this guitar player. Um, but the way he kind of made it out is like he was taking a big chance, but he wasn't really. He was quite funny. Because but then you started. Uh, I mean, we yeah. were doing you were doing like sessions, right? Yeah, I, I was doing all sorts of bits and pieces. Because you did, didn't you do one with um, Pete Yorn? Yeah, yeah, I, I played on Pete Yorn's album. Um, I mean, I actually did quite a lot of. Like odds and ends with uh with some friends, um, well was that a rat? I don't know. It sounded like, it sounded like a rocket. Um, it sounded like a bottle rocket. Um, no, I mean because you didn't. So it's kind of like you were were you kind of like accidentally thrust in the world of doing some sessions or something? I mean, like you know, to, to be honest, I I'd um I used to play um guitar for this girl called Leah Haywood, who was a she was a bit like Britney Spears in, in Australia. And, um, I, man, it was, it was the worst thing I ever did. Like I, I hated it so much, but, but you gotta was, pay rent. yeah, exactly. That, that was my thing. That musicians so, professional music. That's what musicians do. They get gigs. And yeah. Then, and so, but, um, interestingly enough, like, uh, she'd moved to LA and she'd married one of my really good friends. And so I ended up staying on their couch for a bit. And, um, and she's like, Oh, you know, we're actually doing this uh, record right now. Would you like to help out? And so like they, they were doing a bunch of stuff. So, that was stuff I never got credited for, which is which is kind of cool because I'm not proud of it. Um, <laughs> but I'll tell you what, what, what do you what are you really proud of? What, what I mean, like anything uh, a session that you've done is there anything that you really just kind of you know um, my work <clears> on this is really fab. You know, there, there was some stuff that I did when I was about eighteen or nineteen with a band called Able. Actually, it was probably like seventeen, but um, that's I think really good, and that that definitely kind of stands the time test which you know like I, I i listened i listened to it a couple of weeks ago because someone said that they listened to it and they they really liked this particular song so i put it on again and really spun me out because uh you know i don't know i guess like um when you don't listen to yourself after a bit you start to go wow that was that was quite a crazy thing i did then you know um so yeah i'd say able that's a you know i actually don't really like what i did on pete yawns thing because I, I did it took me like I didn't have much time, so, you know, all up, it was like an hour and a half of, of you know, not only, like, learning the song, but, like, playing the song and all that, you know, so I kind of cringe when I hear it, to be honest. <laughs> High cringe factor, okay. You know. I'm sorry if I brought up any type oh, of no. bad memories no. or something. <laughs> it was actually a lot of fun. He, he's a real sweet guy. The, um, the whole, uh, I want to get more things into just 
the mechanics of being in a band. I mean, being in a band certainly has its perks. Sure beats a straight job like editing a rock magazine. But what do you guys positively hate about this? I mean, obviously you're manifesting a creative thing. And to some kid who's just listening to the thing on his computer, it's just, either he's listening to it on his computer or his stereo or his iPod. It's just him and the music. He doesn't know, he or she doesn't know anything about what, what it, take to, it took to get there. Yeah. You, know, you know, the studio almost burned down. I mean, just any type of variable because it's just to them, oh, there's this and it's just me and this. And there's all of this stuff that comes outside of that that threatens to change the stuff that comes out of the speakers. Right. So I'm kind of wondering what is it, what are the things that you guys generally positively despise about getting your point across, you know, artistically, you know, what things in the industry really just, you find somewhat <clears throat> troublesome. Um, I don't know. It's like most of those things we avoid, you know, most of those things that we don't like, we avoid like, like we we don't really have it in our lives, like 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 unnecessary label pressure for like singles and things like that. That that always gets me uh, feeling like you know it, it it always gives me a you know a bad feeling in my stomach when I hear about that kind of stuff, especially when it's you know like a band that that uh, that has good stuff. I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, think, I think we're in a pretty good situation where. Um a lot of our friends that work with us are, are friends of ours, and so we, I guess we we've definitely avoided the the um, the issues that most bands. But I mean, for example, um, like no one's asking us to write songs. That's just what we do, you know. But I know that there's a lot of bands out there that the last thing they want to do right now is write another you know another album, you know. Um, and for us, I mean, it's like it feels good to do that. It feels good for us to like bounce ideas and like. I have a demo and I show it to Michael and, you know, that, that feels good. That, that feels like, that feels what I'm, you know, that's what I'm most comfortable with, you know, is, is doing that. Uh, you know, um, I mean, there's the obvious things like the sacrifices that we make. I mean, Michael hasn't seen Sydney since we toured there and hasn't been home in how long? How long has well, it been? Um, it's been a while. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know. I mean, I haven't actually been home home for you know probably six months or so, which is which is fine, but um, it's it's also a crazy thing. So like, I, I live in a suitcase literally. Sure. It's, it's all but I've before got. that, you were surfing couches. So yeah, I mean, I've it just, wasn't. A, I don't think it was. It wasn't that uh, far I've got, of a stretch I've for you from personally. A couch to a to a smaller bunk in a in a in a bus, which I mean, I'm definitely not <laughs> complaining. Um, really, because I mean, it sounds like you're complaining. No, no. I mean, you know, the the bathrooms were he definitely cleaner. Two. Yeah, I am number two. There is no number one. Come on, you you know how I feel about you. They call you. me number two. You know how I feel about you, Michael. Um, I mean, I, I'd say like the the biggest sacrifices we make are you know definitely um, um, I guess like we we believe in what we do and that's why we travel so much. You know, I think that if if we uh, for example, I wouldn't be doing this for um something I didn't believe in. I, I'm pretty sure the other guys are the same way. You know, um, and so you know the whole you know I mean. You know, some of the, you know. Nobody's in a band to be miserable, and I'm sure if somebody yeah. said, hey, Nickelback need a new guitar player, you'd just be like, uh, put put a cyanide capsule under your tongue, out, yeah, just bite I'd, it, and that'd be the end. There's you know actually quite I mean? a few bands I, I'd rather do anything but play in a band with them, you know. Yeah. Um, that's, but, you know, I used to always say that, man, you know, I'd do anything to, to you know, play guitar for a living, but now I kind of 
saying, well, you know what, maybe I'd just go work at McDonald's rather than play for some bands. You know? is, that, is that is the business done that to you? I mean, the expectation? Not, you not know? really. I mean, to be honest, I think that, um, like, my mum used to always say that if, if you keep bad company, you know, you'll have a bad life, you know, and I think that um, in that sense, um, like, when I, when I met Mike and I met William for the first time, um, you know, I think we instantly became good friends, you know, and I think, uh, I mean, same with Jack the Camera Guy or... Um, you know, I mean, even Tony Adam, Marino, our, our yeah. tour manager. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, obviously the band guys, you know. And I think, like, we're all, like, really good friends. And, you know, then, you know, we have, like, the guys at the label or the guy, you know. And I guess, like, anyone that we don't really feel that good about, we don't really do life with. Yeah, know? there's a lot of there's a lot of people on the business end that used to work for us. <laughs> and that don't. Used to work for us. And that don't anymore, you know. Very and, politically correct of you, Mr. Mr. Yeah. Becker. And there's a lot of people now um, that, I mean, you know, we've surrounded ourselves with with people that we trust and with people that, you know, uh, know what what we do and why we do it, you know. So we're very, uh, I mean, we're very gracious that we're in a position to do that, you know, and that people, like, you know, we have a great management company with a great manager that, that really cares about us and... I know that a lot of bands get taken advantage of and a lot of bands, uh, you know, um, don't really have that support system. So we're, we're very grateful for it. So no complaints. Everything is just well, copacetic. I mean, There's nothing smooth. worth complaining about. I think if we <clears throat> complain about anything at this point, we'd just be, you know, kind of shitheads to complain. The type of fans, the, the, the type of fans that, you're, that, you're, uh, that you get... Because I know that a friend of mine, a friend of mine was uh, an ARR person from a label and came to one of these Cleveland, uh, you know, music industry confabs or something. Yeah. What was? What, definitely not a webinar. <laughs> and I, you know, they would they would ask questions. They would take questions from people, and then like some kid would say, uh, "Yeah, I'm an independent artist. How do I get tour support?" And be like. Dude, you save up all your money working at bagging groceries, and then when it comes time for you to put gas in the car, and you just go do it. Yeah. Do you think there's like a level of in, entitlement where some people you just be like, "Oh, hey, you guys are cool. Um, how can how can I get an endorsement deal? Do, do you get do you get a lot of that where sometimes there's like this level of acceleration that uh, people are people are kind of more like they want to pick your brain for stuff as they yeah. more want to talk about any artistic right. thing you've done. I, I've got, I got some friends who always. Um, um, they, you know, they just want to find out how to, uh, how to, you know, you know, do sweet shows and that, you know, all they think about is, um, the fact that, you know, we're on a label or something like that, you know, but it, it's, it's an interesting thing because, um, you know, even from me being like, I was, you know, I used to, you know, I guess the legal drinking age is 18 in Australia, you know, so by the time I was like 15 or so, I was playing in, in clubs and stuff and, uh, cause you know, I kind of looked a little older, but, um, you know, even, even then, like, and this is pre-internet being so powerful um it's basically if people if you make good music people um will either identify with it or they won't and you'll either have people that come to your shows or you won't and if you don't have people come to your shows then there's a reason and that's you know you just kind of need to look at it like a uh i guess like you know if, if you were going to make like the best coffee in the world you need to you know go through a series of tests and and you know exactly. try it out on people if people like it then you know then you're doing something good if people don't like it and nobody drinks it then you're doing something bad you can't call it the best coffee in the yeah, world trials and tribulations are very important i mean it's very important for any artist to go through you know like you're gonna struggle and if you're 
not prepared to struggle, then you're in the wrong business, you know, like, unless you want to take the easy road, which a lot of, a lot of bands try and be a legitimate band, and then they're like, oh, screw it, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll just bring in, you know, songwriter A and songwriter B and producer C. And, and then, then at midnight, have the programmer come in. Yeah. And, and, and Pro Tools right. and move, move, yeah. move your drummer to move all the beats back where they should be as opposed to the horrible time he's keeping. And then, uh, you know, and then next thing you know, you know, you're, you have a top 40 hit. And I actually know bands that, that, that did exactly that, that thing. And people don't re- aren't really aware that there are bands like that, that, that get, you know, that, that, uh, that pretty much aren't really bands, you know, it's, it's kind of like Backstreet Boys with guitars, you know, uh, Butch <laughs> Walker Highlight, did, Highlights and Razor Bangs. Yeah. Oh, Butch I mean, Walker, but he knows Walker where all the bodies are guy. buried, doesn't he? Yeah. Butch Walker yeah, did a, an, an, a really interesting interview, uh, 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 you know, about just that. And, you know, he's absolutely right that it, it you know, it does exist, but at the same time, it's like, it, it just makes, makes us feel better doing what we do the way we do it. And I think that it makes our fans feel better because they know that, that it's that what we do is real and legitimate that and not contrived. Yeah, of course. And like, we're doing our best. We're, we're going to write, you know, you know, well, we'll see, but you know, more records, a lot more records. And, uh, you know, this is just, uh, this, this is just, you know, this, this is sort of just the beginning of it. For I think, us. I think a band that's, that, wants to support before they've written at least knows too much about songs. it. I think knows way too much about the business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Knows more about the business than they but do they their do actual instrument. Yeah. <laughs> I, I tell you <laughs> the secret bad. about the, the secret about tour support is, um, uh, if you, um, if you get tour support from a label and, and you don't succeed in, in selling a certain amount of albums, then, um, you become like, uh, like the child that they lent a million dollars to. And never paid it back, and then all of a sudden, you know, you find that you know they don't trust you, they don't this, they don't that, you know. Um, so they'll put you in the studio with Britney Spears' producer and exactly cook that stuff up, and at least get their well. Yeah, I mean, I think most most labels, um, it's a, it's a company, you know. A lot of people forget about that, but um, like they have, uh, like as a company is, like most um, most of their goals revolve around money, you know. And so when when young artists um, think that all they need is a label to to solve all their problems, they're completely wrong because I mean, you know, really all they need is is to uh, make some songs and get people excited about them. You know, I think that's that's number one. I think that's why MySpace is kind of screwing it up because um, there's so many songs on there that nobody knows. You know, it's just you know, it's 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 very very saturated. And the funny thing is, is like a lot of labels are, are signing people off MySpace because they have you know twenty thousand fans. I mean, there's there's one particular artist, I guess, that had like, you know, two million fans, and then she recorded an album, and then not much happened. Yeah, it just it, crash and burn, people. Which I mean, like, I know it's probably a bad thing, but I, I kind of I enjoy those kind of stories because um, I think that if you try and do the quick the quick little, uh, um, you know, try and try and get signed, get tour support, go out there and play massive shows, it, it usually never works that way. Like you, you know, I mean. I've been, you know, setting up my gear for years and, you know, like driving to places after work and, you know, like having to, you know, get fired from work to go play a show or, you know, like that, that was like the story of my life, you know, and I don't feel bad about it. But then there's like a lot of 18 year olds who have, you know, gotten like a sweet deal because, 
you know, um, they they have twenty thousand people in MySpace, and now they're the in nice like a, cheekbones. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they're they're in a sweet bus, and then you know, all of a sudden, nobody comes up to their shows, and, 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 and the label, gone. yeah, yeah the label scratching their heads, going, "Well, hang on a minute, they had like fifty thousand people in MySpace that were their friends, you know." You know, it's very, you know, it's very difficult, especially. I mean, you have to partially blame the labels too, because there are young. You know, these are kids, kids getting signed in bands. Like kids getting signed, kids getting all this money, kids being told they're the best thing in the world, because that's what happens. Is you're gonna go like like it happened to us. We had almost here, and we had you know a bunch of mixes. We like labels flew us across the country, like numerous, 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 numerous times. Wined and dined us and told us. Did you order the most expensive thing on the menu? To, uh, actually, I I think we just ordered like chicken sandwiches or something. <laughs> Still, you know, it's like I you don't went know. to a restaurant with a chicken sandwich on the menu. Come on, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I would have had the lobster. Yeah, lobster. Yeah, right? There you go. Filet mignon. Filet mignon. You know, but that's just what happens. And they're gonna tell you that, that you're the best thing ever. That, that you're yeah. That they respect your you know your your uh you know. Uh, your approach and your attitude, you know, towards music and everything, and that they really care about the art and all that. And then next thing you know, a lot of these bands that, that don't have fan bases to begin with uh, have all these, you know, high hopes and think that, that you know, that, and they think that they're the shit. And then when it comes down to it, it's like, wait a minute, we have played maybe one or two shows, we suck live, and we have no fans. And yeah. uh, and it's not, it's like not even their fault because. A lot of times, uh, uh, the um, it, it's just not uh, um, the uh, the importance isn't placed on the right things. It should be placed on on songwriting and music and and performing well, you know, and and like good work ethic, like knowing that it's not going to happen overnight. If you want to be something that has has you know a subs you know that's going to be a substantial uh, 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 you know piece of the culture that you're you know in and surrounded by or do you just want to be you know something that had a lot of you know hits on the internet for a month and then it's gone and then next thing you know you're salty on music you're salty on the business yeah exactly and you 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 talk tons and tons and tons of shit and you're 20 years old and it's like <laughs> Wow, man, that's pretty depressing. You know, it shouldn't it shouldn't be that way. But that's also, um, you know, sort of a way that it, things work out. Like that works out well for people that actually do put a lot of work in, and that do care about their craft. It kind of it's kind of like the self perpetuating filter. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean the is. the real people really who is. believe what they do, who can do quality work, or just get shut out early because of you know anything, as opposed to didn't happen for me. Everything sucks. I gotta go back to the quickie mart. Yeah, right. If uh, if the Academy is would start recording their next record tomorrow, well, how do you think it would sound? Um, what I was gonna say, I was gonna say, um, you know, if the, how how would how would the record sound right now? Because I was wondering if there was any shared favorite CDs that you guys guys played on the bus. You know, obviously we talked about Radiohead, but was there something? You know, is yeah, there something sure. new I mean, that's we, rocking we, your world? We've been talking a lot about like uh, like like new sound like. Stuff that sounds fresh and sounds new, like like the, the new Against Me record, I think sounds fresh. The, you know, the like all the Placebo and Muse records sound fresh to me. It just sounds like it's something that's coming. Like this is something new and something that 
that will continue to change and be different. You know, I mean, it's those kinds of records, I think, are the re- that's the kind of record that we want to um, lean towards as far as like a record that's that, that that sounds fresh, something that sounds new, not something that sounds like it's been done 12 million times, you know. So uh, um, is that has that been Mew? Have you heard of them? Mew, yeah, yeah. yes, Mew? yeah. I, I like them a lot. I think like I like all their drums and stuff. I, you know, I, all that kind of stuff. I think is um, is a lot of fun. We're, I mean, we're, we're not going to write a space rock record, but you know, <laughs> yeah, you're not going to do the space rock record. You're not going to do the free jazz record. Not yet. Not yet. You know, Call me up when you do. Yeah, we'll yeah. Maybe, maybe do the. Just warn me. Just would warn you want to sit in? Yeah, I, I'm 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 into all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So just tell me what you're going to do. Though. Drum and bass. House music? <laughs> no, no. Black Audio's got that market car- cornered now. Uh, gentlemen, thanks for coming by. Of course, and chatting thanks for about having stuff. us. Thank you. It's definitely, it's definitely good hearing somebody uh, actually kind of explain how it really is and try to just deflate all the fables that are going out there about life in general and a successful band. My name is Jason Pettigrew. You've been spe- you've been, I've been speaking. You've been listening to The Academy Is on the AP Podcast. Thank you very much. AP Podcasts are recorded at Lava Room Recording Studio in Cleveland, Ohio, a New York City quality studio at Cleveland Prices. Check out www.lavaroomrecording.com. For more information on Alternative Press Magazine, go to www.altpress.com. The podcast engineer is John Walsh. Post-production assistance from Rob Tenzi. I'm Mike Shea, and this is all my fault. You can reach me directly at www.myspace.com slash Mike Shea AP. That's S-H-E-A like the stadium, AP. 